In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite all the kiddos up through the eighth grade to please come forward. you all today. Wasn't that a great gospel story? I'm not going to talk about that. Father Michael's going to do that. But it was a great gospel story about Jesus bringing someone back to life and all the things that were involved with that. What I want to talk about is, I think I've told you before that I like, I, I like to try to memorize scripture in the Bible. And uh, chapter 8 of Romans is one of those chapters that I've memorized and we just read that uh, on the screen in the second reading, right after the psalm. And I, I, rem- and I have to go, when I, when I memorize something, I have to keep kind of going over it so that it stays in my head and then moves to my heart. I have to keep going over it. And there's one phrase that always made me just kind of, wait a minute, what? And it's the one we just read. Those who do not have Christ... Do not belong to him. Those who do not have Christ do not belong to him. Now before that it talks about us living according to the flesh. And when we do that we set our minds on everything around us. But we're called to live according to the spirit. And so we set our minds on the things that are above where God is. Or even in our hearts where God is. But a lot of us don't do that. Where does, where does belonging to Christ begin in our Christian tradition? At, you were, last year, you were baptized, weren't you? So the, God gives himself to us at baptism. And for those of us who were too young when we were baptized, we have another service in our stage of life called confirmation. We're going to have in May when the bishop comes. And again, it reawakens the spirit in you and reminds you that you are to set your minds on God, not on everything around you. I mean, we can be happy. We can, we can do the things we have to do in this world, but God wants us to think about him. Your birthday's in May? Oh, good. I'm, reading, I'm rereading a book about um, St. Catherine of Siena. Any of you ever heard of her? She lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago in Siena, Italy. And, and, and when she was little, like eight or nine, she gave her heart to Jesus. And she began to live every moment of her life for Jesus. I mean, she still did all the things in the family. Her mom actually had 24 kids. Only 12 survived, hi, Riley. But she had 24 kids, and about 12 of them survived. So, so Catherine had lots of brothers and sisters. But everything she did, she gave to God. And she was always kneeling in her chapel, in her bedroom. She would sleep on the floor with no pillow because she wanted to remember Christ's great sacrifice on the cross. And she wanted to kind of participate in that. And she became a nun, actually, a Dominican nun, when she was 16 years old. She set her mind on the things of God. And God revealed himself to her 
and had lots of conversations and lots of revelations given to Catherine. And Catherine is very important in history, but because of her humility, because she set her minds on the things of God, not on those things all around us. Yes, go to birthday parties and go to school and enjoy home and watch TV, the good things. But, but say your prayers regularly. Set your heart, your mind on the things of the spirit, not on the things of the flesh. And when you set your minds on the things of the spirit, you will always, always, always be joyful. Because it's of God. Okay? Do, do, does any of this make sense to you? Yes. Okay. Well, I hope as you continue to grow, it makes more and more sense. Okay? All right. Those of you who want to go to Children's Chapel, follow Miss Music and Miss Clark, I think it is. And over here, if you want to get a packet from Mr. Patton, you can do that. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts are pleasing unto you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I want to welcome anyone who's joining us for the first time here this Sunday. My name is Michael Schwant. I'm the Associate Rector and Youth Minister here at St. Timothy's Anglican Church. If you are joining us for the first time, I want to let you know that in the lobby or narthex of our building, we have a welcome desk. Lots of wonderful gifts for you to take home with you. Particularly, there's a welcome folder that has information about the church and the ministries we have going on here. Take that home with you. It should answer any of your questions. If you have any, come up. In the meantime, come up to myself or the clergy, the leadership, and we will do our best to answer your questions. As I was praying, preparing myself for the sermon, I, as I normally do, go to the lectionary readings assigned for this Sunday, and as is normally the case, I was spoiled for choice in which one to preach from. Uh, Whenever I went to the Lord in prayer, he kept bringing me back to John chapter 11. So that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be on our gospel lesson specifically this morning. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to get it out in front of you. If you don't, there should be one in the pew nearby. You should also have your scripture insert in your bulletins. Uh, if you have a smart device, rumor has it, you can download a Bible app on those. The, our technology has progressed thus far for us to do that. Feel free to have the scripture verse in front of you. Uh, my translation that I'm reading from is, is the NIV. It might be slightly different than the one that's in front of you. That's okay. I think it's good to have a variety of translations in front of you whenever you're studying a passage of scripture. It can bring out different nuances in the particular verses, but just don't panic if mine's slightly different than yours, okay? As I was, as you're turning to that, I want to lay out some, some basics about John, some things that are helpful to understand whenever you're reading about John. John is one of the four Gospels, the four books that particularly describe the life of Jesus. And John kind of, he kind of stands on his own, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are called the Synoptic Gospels. Scholars have theorized that uh, they all kind of borrowed from each other whenever they were writing their Gospels. And so Mark was first, and then scholars argue about whether it was Matthew next or Luke next, but they're like, Mark was first. And then anyway, those are called the synoptic Gospels because they all have like a same synopsis. That's kind of where that word comes from. They're all kind of similar. 
John comes along, latest of the four, and he just does his own thing entirely, right? John, and I love John, uh, John is known, if, if I had to give the Gospel of John like a label, I would say he's the storyteller of the group. I don't know if you've noticed, but the last couple of Sundays, we've been in the Gospel of John. I don't know if you've also have noticed, the last two Sundays in particular have been rather lengthy, if you've noticed in our Gospel lesson. And that's John for you. That's just what he does. He brings details and he tells a story about things that he found important about his gospel and his interaction with Jesus. Uh, you can break the book of John, another fun fact, into two sections. The first section is called the book of signs or the book of wonders. It deals with Jesus' ministry while he was wandering here on earth and the miracles he performed. And then the other sign you can call it like the book of the passion or the book of the cross. And it deals exclusively with Jesus' death and resurrection. And chapter 11 here, some scholars argue it's chapter 12, but more or less, it's chapter 11 here is the end of the book of signs. This is kind of Jesus' capstone miracle, if you will. This is the one that John wanted to end on. And so it's a rather important verse whenever we approach the gospel of John. Because after this miracle, Jesus goes back to Jerusalem and then he dies on the cross. So this is it. Just as Jesus is close to the cross, we're close to the cross. Holy Week is right around the corner. So this is an important verse for us to study and to inwardly digest, as the Book of Common Prayer likes to say. And there's lots of things that we could tease out from this passage of Scripture, and I highly encourage you to take it home with you and meditate on it further. But there's three I just want to tease out for you more specifically. Three I want you, uh, that I want you to pay attention to this morning. The first one is that Jesus often acts unexpectedly. Jesus often acts unexpectedly. The second thing I want you to pay attention to is that Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. The third thing that I want you to pay attention to is that Jesus acts for the glory of his Father. Jesus acts unexpectedly. Jesus is compassionate. And Jesus acts for the glory of his Father. We're going to go to the gospel of the Lord. We're going to be in the first seven verses, and let me read them for us. Beginning in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. So let's paint a picture of kind of what's going on here. Let's imagine you wake up on Monday morning. Okay? You wake up on Monday morning and you don't feel well. So you say, okay, no big deal. I'm going to call in sick. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to rest. Whatever sort of bowl of soup that you like to enjoy whenever you're sick, I hope you have that bowl of soup in front of you, whatever it may be. You drink your soup and you start to try to rest and relax, but you just continue to feel worse as the day goes on, right? And so you start to get a little worried. So I say, okay, I clearly need some help. So you go to the hospital, you check yourself in, and now you're in the hospital, right? And you're 
excited because this particular hospital, there's a very dear close friend that works at this hospital for you, or with you, excuse me, works for the hospital. So you're like, this is cool. My friend, he's a great doctor or her friend, they're a great doctor, they can come and treat me, right? And this is one of the best doctors in the world. So I'm really excited that my friend is gonna take care of me, right? So you just start to get worse. And pretty soon now all of the medical professionals that are surrounding the hospital now get concerned. And so they send word out to this doctor that's your friend and say, hey, your friend needs you, your friend is sick. Come to the hospital and treat him. And then your friend is like, yeah, cool, I'll be there on Wednesday. You would be concerned, would you not? There is a sense of urgency here. In the Gospel of John here, in this story, where we are introduced, reintroduced to characters that we are already familiar with, right? We've met Mary, Martha, and Lazarus before, right? John tells us that Mary is the woman who came and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair and her tears, right? That same person. And we also run into Mary and Martha again in Luke chapter 10, and we're all familiar with this story where Martha is in the kitchen and Mary is seated at the feet of Jesus learning. So this is a story that we're familiar with, right? And so, and John even tells us that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they're very, very close. These are close family friends. I'm sure we all have people that uh, we would consider part of a family that may not be blood relatives, but are very, very close to us. And they uh, come over for family holidays and they spend time with us. We invite them over for dinner and they come over for Christmas and so on and so forth. And we all know who these people are, right? And so our expectation is that if we're in trouble, these people around us would come to our aid. Do we not think this? And so that's the expectation that Mary and Martha have whenever they reach out to Jesus, say, hey, Lazarus, this person that you've loved in the past, he's sick, come, to, come and heal him, right? Remember, this is the end of the book of signs, right? So in theory, this is the end of Jesus' ministry. By now, he has this reputation as a healer. He goes around and he acts compassionately. People know he's very capable of doing this, right? John also includes in verse 18 that Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, so it's not like he was very far away. Two miles is not far, brothers and sisters. You can do that like in an afternoon stroll. Klein High School, that's like right down the street, that's maybe like a mile. He's that close to where Lazarus supposedly is. He could stroll on out of Jerusalem, go heal him, but he chooses to wait two days before making the journey to where they are. Jesus often acts unexpectedly. And when you and I go to the Lord in prayer and we ask him to act and he acts in ways that we don't expect, it does not make sense to us. When Mary and Martha and Lazarus went to Jesus and say, hey, come heal Jesus, Jesus knows how the story is going to end. Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but the people that are experiencing the story in real time don't know that, and all they see is a Savior, a Jesus, whom they love, they're close with, saying, no, I'm going to wait here two days. But you and I have the benefit of this story. You and I have the benefit of the story. You can go to the end, brothers and sisters, you can read how it ends. Spoiler alert, we win. 
And yet still sometimes whenever we go to the Lord, we're so honest in our prayers. When we say, Lord, it would just be so nice if you acted in this way. Lord, it would be so convenient if you did this. Lord, it would be so nice and easy if you did this. And so often the Lord chooses to act in ways we don't expect. But we should have faith that just as Jesus at the very beginning of this story with Lazarus has a good plan in store for Mary and for Martha and Lazarus and all of the people that witnessed this miracle, he has a good story for us as well. Jesus may act unexpectedly, but he always has a good plan for us. Jesus is compassionate. We're going to pick up in verse 17, uh, just so you know what happens in between verse 7 and verse 17. That's just the disciples being thoroughly confused on what Jesus is doing. That's kind of their MO, pick up a gospel, and, the gos- and they all portray the disciples as just thoroughly confused until after the resurrection. It's just another example of that. We're going to pick up in verse 17, though. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, again, that's not far, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. When the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Uh, I have a good friend from college His name is uh, Christopher Sullivan. Both of us were on the swim team at Centenary College of Louisiana. Go gents. Centenary gentlemen, I don't understand the mascot. Don't ask me about it. And we were on the swim team, and uh, one of the things that swimmers like to do is is the time before our end-of-the-season swim meet or like big championship meet, the kind of the capstone of our season, We know that in preparation for that swim meet, we're going to try to remove as much hair as we can from our body, right? So that means that we can do whatever we want to our hair in preparation because we're just going to get rid of it all. So freshman year, my friend Christopher Sullivan, nicknamed Sully, 
and I, we find ourselves uh, in Shreveport, Louisiana. Shreveport, Louisiana, fun fact, has an ice hockey team. They're the Shreveport Mudbugs. There's a little crawfish that skates around on the ice. It's really cute. So if you're in Shreveport, stop by Shreveport Mudbugs. And Sully, knowing he was about to, to try to remove as much hair from his body as was physically possible. Fun fact, you don't realize how hairy your toes are until you have to shave them. Fun fact. Um, he died, Sully died his beard candy apple red. And he had this shoulder length blonde hair that he dyed this bright platinum blue. Uh, and he walked around the Shreveport Mudbuck Stadium proud as a peacock and just was showing off his hair. And sure enough, you know, a week or two later, whenever it was time for us to, to, to shave, he, he shaved as much of it off as he could and got a lot of it off. But what he didn't realize is that the dye in his hair had penetrated all the way to his scalp, but only in sections. And so he looked like this strange blue cow. And so he wore this beanie for like two months before his hair finally grew back. The last time I preached on this passage of scripture was at his funeral. He went into the hospital, um, had some strange reaction to the medication, um, and never came out. And whenever his parents came to me and said, would you do the funeral? I, of course, said yes, and I was instantly drawn to this passage in John. And the reason why I was so drawn to this passage is because I was, I'm always struck by the brutal honesty that Mary and Martha have to Jesus. Completely honest questions Completely honest statements. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Completely true statement. 100% true. Lord, if you had been there, Sully would not have died. And we are left with this Jesus, and he has this opportunity to show us what it looks like to respond in grief. What does Jesus do when struck with sadness and with grief and with loss of life? Two things stand out to me. First thing, Jesus shares in their grief. He weeps. He knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. That's not a surprise to him. He knows it's all about to be a happy ending, and he doesn't say whenever he's confronted with these two dear sisters of his that are weeping at the loss of their brother, saying, no, no, it's okay, don't cry. It's fine. No. He weeps with them. He shares in their grief. The second thing that I'm struck by whenever I look at this verse is in verse 33, and it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, I often don't try to throw Greek and Hebrew at you, and the reason why is because the people who wrote and translated your version of the Bible are 
so much infinitely smarter than I am, and so I don't wanna to try to improve the work that they've done. But there's one thing I wanted to kind of tease out for us here in verse 33 is that there's a Greek word in verse 33 where it says, and he was moved in spirit and troubled. There's not a good one-to-one -one correlation there for that word. And it, 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 the closest thing we have is, is being deeply troubled or being angry, right? Jesus, the image here that I think of sometimes, I don't know if this is correct, is, is if you've ever been around an animal for some reason, I think of a horse, but any animal that's like confronted with something they don't like, right? If you've ever been around horses, they start like pawing at the ground and their nostrils flare and they like shake their head and their mane is going everywhere. It's like they've just experienced something. They're like, Phew, that's not nice. Jesus, whenever he's confronted with the death of his friend, whenever he's confronted with death, there's something in him that reacts against that. There is something in that that, dare I say, acknowledges the injustice of what has occurred. Because I feel like if we're honest with ourselves, brothers and sisters, whenever we think of death, there's a part of us that knows that the way it should be is that we should be able to talk to our friends whenever we want to, that we should be able to spend time with them whenever we want to, that that friendship and that camaraderie we have with them should still be there. I should be able to call my friend and talk about all the fantasy books we used to read together. Jesus, whenever he's confronted with the death of his friend, realizes this and reacts against this. Death, there's an injustice to death. And you and I know how the story is going to end. We know one day that sin and death will be done away with, and the new heavens and the new earth. But in the meantime, what a comfort it is to we have a Savior who weeps with us. And just doesn't say, no, no, stop crying, it's okay, I'm going to fix it. No, he weeps with us. Jesus acts for the glory of his Father. Picking up in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I tell you, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. One of the things that I always try to do whenever I am preparing for a sermon is I try to think of what's some, some sort of practical something that we can take with us back home, right? What's something that we can do? Maybe that's just me and my personality. And I want you to hear me that if the only thing you take away with on this Sunday is that Jesus weeps with you, take that and go home. But what Jesus shows us, the reason why he does this and the reason why I love John ended with this story because it shows us why Jesus did all of the things he did while he was here on this earth is for the glory of his father.
And you and I that are called to act like Jesus, that are called to be like Jesus, that are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a world are called to act in his stead, to act as he would act, to look at this world that seems so broken and seems so lost and so full of death. And just as Jesus brought Lazarus back to life, we are called to bring light and life to a world that seems so dark. And to be the hands and feet to a world that so desperately needs the gospel. If you're sitting here this morning and this is intriguing to you, but you're still not familiar with this Jesus person, know that he still is there. He's still weeping with you. He's still caring for you. And he so desperately wants to call you out of the tomb. Just as he called Lazarus out of the tomb and into a relationship with him. So if that's you this morning, one of the reasons why I love our Anglican tradition is we have an opportunity for all of us, whether or not we're not sure about this Jesus person or whether we know him and we're intimate with him, we all, as children of God, get to come to the table with all of our hurts and all of our brokenness and all of our sorrow and all of our hard questions, and all of our valid complaints, and we go before a Lord who completely loves us and who completely understands us. So as we prepare our hearts and our minds to come to the table, I pray that you will just sit with Jesus this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you for your continued promise of light and life and love, even whenever things don't make sense to us, even whenever things are hard and difficult. And I pray that that promise that you are good and that you have a good plan for us will be like a lifesaver, a buoy through the hard times of this life. I pray a prayer of protection over each and every one of us that are called to be the hands and feet to a world, hands and feet of Jesus to a world that so desperately needs them. Equip us, Lord, for the work you have called us to do and protect us from all assaults of the evil one. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.